Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. So Romans chapter number 11, and we're going to move through just a couple of verses, but we'll be looking at verses number 7, verse number 8, 9, and 10. And uh, what Paul does in this short section is he is he's basically ending out his his argument, if you want to call it that, that he started really in the beginning of chapter number ten. Um, if we if we actually stopped and we read through what we've been looking at on Sunday nights, you'll notice what Paul does in chapters nine, ten, and eleven. He does two things. He does, he does one of these things throughout the whole book. He's constantly asking questions that are rhetorical questions that he's asking the question just so he can answer the question. Um, I know Reese knows a lot about that because that's how I act and handle things with him a lot of times. I'll ask a question that's really rhetorical so that I can give him the answer to help him understand something. And I think a lot of us probably do that. A lot of us probably ask those rhetorical questions to get somebody to st- at least start thinking through. And that's what Paul's doing. The only reason Paul, Paul doesn't ask any of these questions is because he doesn't know the answer. He's writing these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God knows the answer to each and everything that he has ever said, done, any of it. God knows all those answers. But he's leading Paul to help us think through these things. So we see that Paul does that in these three chapters. But the other thing that he does is he quotes the Old Testament more in these three chapters than he does throughout the rest of the book. What Paul is doing again is he's taking some of the harder sayings to right now to this audience, this this, this mainly Israeli audience. And he's making sure that he has scripture to back up what he's saying. And we're going to see that in one place tonight. There's, there's one spot tonight where he actually... The Jews had their Old Testament broken up into three different sections. They had the law, the prophets, and the writings is what they called them. So the law, we know, was the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. The writings were Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, those, those wisdom books is what we, what we normally call them. And even includes some of the historical books like Kings and Ruth. And then he's got the prophets, which we understand is pretty easy to is easy to kind of grasp because if it has of somebody's name, it's typically a prophet in the Old Testament. But what Paul does is he takes references in two verses that we read in Romans, and he's referencing back to all the different parts that the Jewish people would have known. Paul wants to make sure that he has a backing for what he is saying. And if we are going to do anything in life and we're going to to explain anything biblically, then we better have a backing for what we're saying scripturally. The one thing the Apostle Paul does is he has context for what he says. And that's the other thing that we better have. If we're going to use a verse to try and prove something, the context of that verse better make sense. Or you and I will be proven wrong in what we're saying. But we'll get into what Paul has actually written down here. And uh, what the Lord has us to see this evening. 
So in chapter 11, verse number 7, Paul starts out and he says, what then? So there's another one of those questions. And he wants us to start thinking about what he's getting ready to say. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it. And the rest were blinded. And then he's going to make reference to a couple of old passage, Old Testament passages. Verse number eight, he says, According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. So what Paul is saying, he's saying this, this text that he, he's referencing, he said this is not something that just happened in the past. He said up until today, even, even if you look around today, he's saying, he's saying to these, this Roman audience, he said, look around today and you're going to see what I'm telling you is true. Verse number nine, he says, and David saith, let their table be a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. And we'll get into what is going on there as we kind of walk down through this scripture. But what Paul is going to show us tonight is he's going to show us an empty search in verse number 7, an unseen remnant in verse number 7, and then in verse number 8, 9, and 10, Paul is conveying to us an ultimate hardening. And that's what he says there towards the end of verse number seven, leading into that, he says, and the rest were blinded. This is the hardening that God has instructed Paul to write about a few times throughout these chapters. But he starts it out in a similar way that he starts out chapter number 10. And if we look back to chapter number 10 and verse number two, we'll see what he's talking about. Chapter 10, he starts out and says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear record, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not unto knowledge. And I know when we looked at that, we talked about they they had a zeal. Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew, he said, You'll go across land and sea to make one proselyte. He said, you've got this zeal that you would go all the way as far as you could go if you knew you could get one person to convert to Judaism. And that's pretty zealous. Most of us won't even cross the street to try and convert somebody to our favorite football team or whatever it may be. But there are people, and even, even if we look around the, around the world, there are people who are so zealous about their religion that they'll do whatever they need to do to try and get, gain a proselyte to what they believe. And that's what Paul said about these Jewish people in chapter 10. He said they, they are zealous. They are all in and going after what they believe. But he says not according to knowledge. And again, we, we read and we understood when he says knowledge, he's saying you don't know who you're looking for. You're going after somebody, but you don't know the one you're looking for. And we referenced Jeremiah where God spoke to the children of Israel and said, you don't know me. He said, you, you, you come after me, you're, you're trying to follow my ways, but you don't know me. You've missed the whole point. The point was not for them to have rules and regulations. The point was that they know God and they show that they were the people of God. But they had missed that point. They had grabbed hold to everything else and they were running after that 
that Judaism, that they were zealous about that. And that's what Paul says. He says, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. He, so he's saying there's this zealous search that's going on, but they're coming up empty. <laughs> Over the past couple of days, and my wife can attest to this, I don't remember where I put stuff. I don't. I just, I, 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 all the time, where is this? Where is this? Where's my belt? Where's my shoes? Where's my socks? Where's my wallet? Where's my keys? All the time. This past week, I could not find my wallet. Couldn't find it. I thought I left it at work. Went to work. It wasn't there. Thought I left it in my bag. Looked through my bag. Took stuff out. Couldn't find it. Thought it was on the fridge. Couldn't find it. Thought it was in between the couch cushions. Couldn't find it. I was going on a search that was an empty search because I could not find my wallet. And the problem was is I didn't have the knowledge where I left it. Uh, it did have a happy ending. I actually found it in my bag because obviously I didn't look good enough the first time. <laughs> but it was in there. So but that's what these Jews had done. They didn't have the knowledge that they needed. They didn't do what God had told them to do. Like, again, Lindsay tells me, say, why don't you put your wallet here when you get home and then you won't lose it? Well, they didn't, I don't do that. No. I just, I, it's just too hard for me to put something in a specific place. But that's what the Jews had done. God had told them exactly where they could find these things that they were looking for. But they were zealous in looking other places. And that's why Paul says they had an, it was an empty search. He said what they were looking for, what they sought, they hadn't obtained it. They hadn't found it. They hadn't grabbed hold of it. But what were they looking for? And Paul's already told us. If we look back to chapter number 9, verse number 30 through verse number 32, Paul has already told us what these Jewish people were looking for. Verse number 30 says, what shall we say then? And there's another one of those questions. That the Gentiles which follow not after righteousness hath attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained the law, not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So what Paul has told us is that what they were looking for was righteousness. That's what Israel was seeking. They were going on a search for righteousness. But what did Paul tell us in verse number nine? They didn't have to look for it because righteousness had came to them. They were looking for something that had come looking for them. And when he got there, they said, oh, no, you're not what we're looking for. He came looking for them. John 1, he said he came to his own and his own received him not. He'd come to them. It's like if, it's, again, if I, thinking back to my wallet, it's like if my wallet would have jumped up out of my bag and said, here I am. And I would say, no, you're not what I'm looking for. Right. That's what the Jews did. 
Jesus had come, the Messiah that they were seeking, the righteousness that they were told would come, came and they said, no, 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 we don't want that. We're okay. We don't need that. And they would continuously come up on an empty search. And that's, again, not to get ahead of ourselves, but that's why Paul said that this has happened to this day because they were still searching for what had come and shown himself to them. And they were searching the wrong way. Because what again, if we look if we look there in the verses we just read in chapter number nine, he said that the Gentiles had found it, they had found the righteousness because it was a faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, had not obtained to the law of righteousness. So basically what Paul was telling him, he said, Israel, your problem was, your problem is currently that you are bent on doing this yourself. And that's what we're bent on as humans. I had a conversation this past week with someone about that. And they, the question was, how do you know what you believe is right? There are all these other religions all around the world, and they all say that they're right. How do you know that you're right? And I told him, I said, if you look, if you look outside, look at everything, look at the universe, there's a God, right? And he agreed. He, he said, he said you, can't, you can't look at the universe and the human eye and all these other things and not believe that there is a God. I said, okay, so let's look at every other religion there is. Let's look at everything there is and say, what are these religions telling us on how we get to God? Every other religion tells us we have to do something to get to God. Even Muslims. Why, do a, why would a Muslim blow themselves up in an effort to kill other people? It's because they believe that God requires that of them. And I, and I asked him, I said, I said, so does it make sense to you that the God who made this whole universe would want you to kill yourself so that you can get to him? Does that even make sense? I said, if I, when I look at the universe and I see the glory of God in the heavens that, that the psalmist spoke about, when I see those things, it makes me understand that there's no way I could get to that God. God's not looking down at me and saying, well, if you don't do exactly this, this work here, if you don't kill yourself here, if you don't show up to this meeting the rest of your life and have perfect attendance, then, then you know, no luck. Why would the God who made the creation want something out of us to get to him? It doesn't make sense. It makes no sense how that works. And, I, and that's, what I, that's what I was trying to explain to him is to his point, if there's, if there's a God and, and we can't understand everything about this God and we can't understand everything about his creation, then why would we try and do something to get to him? But that's, that's what we're bent on. Every single one of us are bent on doing it ourselves outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. That's just how we're, we're, we're wired. Adam and Eve, what did they do as soon as they sinned? They're like, all right, we have got to make us some clothes. We got to do this ourselves. Don't tell God we messed up. We got to get this done ourselves. That's, that was the human bent. That was exactly what they were doing. And that's what we do every day since then. Look at all the Christian religions. Look at them. Why, where did they mess up? You have to do. You have to do. The Catholics. Well, you got to confess and do penance. And if you don't do penance, you're going to have to go to purgatory because you got to be able to make up for what you missed. But again, how are we to come to the God of the universe? And what Paul is telling them in Romans chapter number nine 
He's saying these Gentiles have got it because they understand they can't get to God through what they're doing. The gospel has come to them and they're like, finally, we can stop worshiping and sacrificing our kids to these idols. Because God, the unknown God that we looked at this morning, that's what Paul came to tell him. He said, this unknown God that you're afraid is going to come after you if you don't name his name. He's the God who made everything and he made a way so you could get back to him. He did it. And that is where true Christianity, biblical Christianity, is different than every other religion. It's different than Judaism. It's different than Hinduism because every other religion says you have a part in what you're doing. And even, again, even Christian sects of those religions, they start to go askew when they start to add in the fact that we have to have a part in what God is doing. We are being given the opportunity to be participants, to be partakers in what was done. But we have not been given the responsibility to do any part of what God has done. I can't go out tomorrow and recreate the universe any more than I can go from my deathbed to God and say, well, I did good enough to get into heaven. It just doesn't make sense. To the human mind, it doesn't make sense to not be able to do that. Again, another statement that has been made to me is, well, I don't know if I can believe that because it's just too simple. I got to do something. And that's why we know Christianity is true. Because man would never come up with something that says God did it. It's, just what, it's, not, it's not in man's brain to do that. But that's what the human bent was. And that's why these Jews kept coming up empty. Because they were running after what Paul called the law of righteousness. Instead of looking at the faith that brings righteousness. And even, even if we go back to chapter number 10 again, in verse number five and six, he said that Moses or the law says you have to live by these things, but righteousness, which is of faith, speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven to bring Christ down from above? And who shall ascend in the deep to bring Christ up from the dead? Basically what Paul's saying, he said, he said there's, there's faith that's speaking that you don't have to do these things, but Moses and the law are start speaking to these Jewish people that they have to keep all these things in order to be right with God. But as he moves on through the text, so we see there's an empty search. They're coming up empty. They can't get where they're going. They can't find what they're looking for because they're looking for it the wrong way and they're looking in the wrong places. Not to, not to quote a, a secular song, but they're looking for love in all the wrong places. That's what they're doing. They're just looking places that's not there. Moving down through verse number seven, Paul says, But election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. And what Paul's speaking to here is a remnant, an unseen remnant. And he, he, actually, he actually uses a very interesting word in this specific verse. And it goes back to what's been said here over and over and over. When Paul says, he says, the election hath obtained it. Basically what he is saying is the believers have believed it. He's saying there's a remnant of people, and there's always been a remnant. And if even, even the book of Micah is teaching us that. Go back to Elijah. Elijah said, I'm the only one 
There wasn't anybody up on that mountain except for me who believes God. And God said, I have a remnant that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. He said, I have 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. Those are remnant. God always has a remnant of people. He always does. And that's what Paul is saying to them. Paul is even pointing to himself. He's saying, I am proof that there's a remnant of Jewish believers. I was a Jew. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Look at me. I'm proof of what I'm telling you. God always has a remnant. And going to what he said, he said, how do you know that you're part of that remnant? (laughs) Because the believers believe it. Whoever believes will believe. And that's that's what the scriptures have been telling us throughout the book of Romans. Is that it's Whosoever believes will believe. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying it's not the ones who we're looking for. It's not the ones who are trying to do to find it. It's the ones who believe that obtained it. The ones that looked at Christ. That remnant of Jews that said this is our Messiah. Those are the ones who found it. They found him. He came looking for them and they found him. And even Jesus himself, he said that he, when he looked over Jerusalem, he said, he said, I wish I could just bring all of you under my wings, but you will not. And that leads us into the ultimate hardening that Paul talks about in the rest of these, this section of Scripture. He says, and the rest were blinded. So we've got the empty search, the unseen remnant, and the ultimate hardening. And what this does is it points us back to a few narratives in Scripture. It's going to point us back to chapter number 9. But I want to look through these references that Paul actually uses in verses 8, 9, and 10, which we read over a minute ago. But I'm going to to give you these references. We're going to read these references, and you're going to see where Paul is using these references in this text. So the first place I want to look is Deuteronomy 29 and chapter number 4. Deuteronomy chapter... 29 and verse number 4. And this is right at the end of Moses' rule, if you want to call it that, over the children of Israel. He's about to die. Joshua's about to take over. They're about to go into the promised land. Moses isn't going to be able to go, so he's telling them and reminding them of some things. In verse number 29, he's speaking of the covenant that God had made with Israel. In verse number four, he says, Yet the Lord hath not given you an heart to perceive, and eyes to see, and ears to hear unto this day. If we look back a few verses before, we'll see why. He said, These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Mo- of Moab beside the covenant which he had made with them in Horeb. Moses called unto all Israel and said unto them, Ye have not seen all the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, unto Pharaoh, unto all his servants, unto all the land, the great temptations which thine eyes have seen, the signs and those great miracles. Yet the Lord hath not given you and heart to perceive, eyes to see, ears to hear unto this day. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. 
Your clothes are not waxing old. Your shoes are not waxing old upon thy foot. Ye did not, ye have not eaten bread, neither have ye drank wine or strong drink, that ye might know that I am the Lord your God. And when ye came unto this place, Sion, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against them to battle, and we smote them, and we took their land, and gave unto an inheritance to, Re to the Reubenites, and to the Gadites, and to half tribe of Manasseh, keeping therefore the words of this covenant, and do them, and ye may prosper in all that ye do. Basically what Moses is saying unto them, he, he's reminding them that God led them out of Egypt, he gave them what they needed, and they got to the Jordan River, and they said, you know what, God, we don't really want what you have for us. We don't want to do that. Look over there, them guys are giants. There's no way we're going to be able to defeat them. We don't want what you have. We're going to look for something ourselves. And that's what Moses is calling, or Moses is saying to them. He said, what you did, you rejected what, what God did to Pharaoh. You rejected God bringing you out of Egypt. You, you, you closed your eyes to all of that. And because of that, we've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. He says that God has blinded your eyes. What God did to those Israelites is he blinded their eyes because they rejected what he wanted for them. He said, that's fine. If you want to reject, I'm going to give you what you want. And he blinded their eyes. He had a remnant. Joshua and Caleb were part of that remnant. But he had blinded their eyes. And that's why Moses said up to this day. And Paul is carrying on what Moses said in verse number eight. He said, as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should see not, ears that they should hear not unto this day. And he stops his quotation. Paul's saying, he's quoting what Moses said. And Moses even includes unto this day. But Paul is saying, if you look around, it didn't just stop when Moses left. Moses, Moses thought it stopped because they were going to the promised land. But if we read the book of Joshua and Judges, they reject God over and over and over and over and over. We're reading through the book of Micah. What have they done? They're rejecting God over and over and over and over. And Paul is saying that rejection that had started way back when, you can still see it today. They're still rejecting what God has sent and they're rejecting what God has said even to this day. And if we want to look around us now, if you've ever talked to a Jew, they still do the same thing. They still reject God. There's a remnant. But for the vast majority, the Jewish mind is bent toward rejecting their Messiah. Because God hath blinded their eyes. Because they have constantly rejected him and rejected him and rejected him. What Moses mentions about Pharaoh and what Moses mentions to the children of Israel, it takes us back to chapter number nine. If we look back in chapter number nine, what did God say about Pharaoh in chapter number nine? Chapter nine, verse number 17, and scripture said unto Pharaoh, and scripture said, saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will hardeneth. Thou wilt say unto me, why dost he yet find fault? And he who resisteth, and who resisteth against his will. 
We remember back to the narrative of Pharaoh. If you go back and read in the book of Exodus, what you're going to find out is that Pharaoh did the same thing that the children of Israel did. Moses went to Pharaoh. He said, let my people go. And if you read that, Pharaoh hardened his heart against Moses. Every time Moses comes back after that, there's different wording. It says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And that's what God has done with these Jewish people. They constantly reject God, so God rejects them. They blind their eyes to what God has said, so God blinds their eyes. They put themselves into a sleep, so God gives them the spirit of slumber. That's what God's doing through this text. When, when, when Paul uses this word, a spirit of slumber, it's the same word that we get sleep. But it's a different, it's a little bit different thought. It's not just, hey, you went to bed. But it's like when your arm goes to sleep. I, this is maybe a little bit of a humorous story, but when I was about Reese's age, we were on a, on a car ride somewhere and I laid down on my leg. I laid down, propped myself down on my leg. We were driving. I don't know how long I was asleep. When I woke up, I could not move my leg. I thought I had paralyzed myself. I was absolutely convinced I was going to be in a wheelchair the rest of my life. I, I go, my mind goes zero to 60 with that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, it's over. I'm never going to be able to run. and went to walk and be in a wheelchair. I'm, my, I was already preparing myself mentally for this. I was like, I'm paralyzed. It's done. I don't know what I did, but it's over. I tried to pick my leg up. You know, I could pick it up with my hands. It was just dead weight. But a couple minutes later, some of the worst pain, it was a numbing kind of a pain, came into my leg. And then that was the point in time where my parents explained to me what it means to have a part of your body go to sleep. It feels like pins and needles are on your leg. But what Paul's saying, that's what has happened to Israel. He said, they're awake. You look at them, you can talk to them, you can discuss things with them. They're awake. They can correspond with you, but they're asleep. They're numb. They can't pick it up by it. They can't pick up their own leg by its own power. It's numbed because they've rejected what God had said. God gave them the spirit of numbing or the spirit of slumber because that's what they wanted. They wanted to be numbed to the things of God, so God numbed them to the things of God. And honestly, that's, that's the... That's the sobering part of this text. With Pharaoh, Pharaoh could have very well, when Moses said, let my people go, he could have let them go and God would have shown his power through Pharaoh because Pharaoh would have let his people go. Could have happened. Pharaoh hardened his heart. What happened? His heart was hardened. And God did show his power through Pharaoh. Pharaoh thought he could get in the way of God's plan, but God used Pharaoh to impart his plan. Judas Iscariot could have said, you know what, I'm going to believe in Christ, that he's the Messiah. I'm not going to sell him out. But instead, he's like, I'm going to get in the way of God's plan. And God hardened Judas' heart and let Judas be part of his plan. That's what God does. You're going to be part of God's plan, whether you want to be or not. No matter how you think that you are going to do things, you will be part of what God is doing. But the call of Scripture is that we be a part in Christ. Not against. 
And that's, but that's what they had done. That's what Pharaoh had done. And that's, that's really, that's, that's the call to us from this text of scripture is don't reject the things of God the first time because he's not obligated to ever give you another chance. That's the call of the gospel. Paul said today's the day of salvation. Don't, because you might become part of, God's not obligated to give you the first chance, much less the second chance. But you may become part of his plan in the way that you don't necessarily want to be part of his plan. But that's what has happened to Israel. And as we go into these, these texts over specifically verse 11 where he talks about the new branches being grafted in, that's what Paul is telling these Israelites. He said, you rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected. And God has blinded you now. And you're part of God's plan and he's grafted in somebody else. He warns those people he grafted in. He said, don't reject God because God can do the, God's plan. He can do whatever he wants. He can, he can cut you back off and put somebody else in. That's what Paul's telling these Jewish people. The whole reason he wrote chapter 9, 10, and 11 is to tell them, do not reject the gospel because God's plan is not hinging on your acceptance or your rejectance. Right. God's plan is going forward regardless of what you go with. Yes, so right. you best listen and accept what God has given you. Because you will end up in this ultimate hardening like Pharaoh did and like the children of Israel did. So we have the Deuteronomy, the text of Deuteronomy. Isaiah 29.10 is the next text. And we'll have one more and then I'll, uh, we'll wrap things up. But Isaiah 29 and verse number 10. And this is Isaiah in between the captivity of Assyria and Babylon. So Micah is, is prophesying Babylon or uh, I don't think it's Babylon coming. It's either Babylon or Syria. Micah's prophesying that they're, this, they're coming. They're coming to, 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 to be the rod of, of God as we looked at this morning. And Isaiah is going to tell them in between the Assyrian and Babylonian judgment the state that they're, that they're going to find themselves in. He says in verse number 10, The Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep and hath closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, hath he covered. And then I'll turn real quickly over to Psalm 69. Look at verse 22 and 23. What Isaiah is telling them, he said, he said, you rejected and rejected. And the reason that you have all these false prophets saying everything's fine, don't worry about it. Judgment's not coming. The reason that you have that is because God has blinded their eyes just like he blinded yours because they've rejected him just like you've rejected him. Psalm verse 69, and he, he, he takes a little bit different path with this, with this specific text. And it's interesting to see the way that Paul turns this imprecatory psalm against his own people. In verse number 22, the Bible says, let their table become a snare before them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not, and make their loins to continuously shake. He said, and he's talking about the fate of his enemies here in this text, but David is praying. He said, Lord, the enemies of you let their table become a snare before them. He said, let, their, let when they sit down to eat, let it be a trap. He said, that which should have been for their welfare, let it be a trap. He said, those good things, let them be bad things unto them. 
That's what he's praying towards the enemy of God. But what, is, what does Paul pray? He says, David said, let their table be a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Paul is equating these Jewish unbelievers with the enemies of God. He's saying they have rejected the gospel. Let them be the enemies of God because they are. And that's, again, this, this text is sobering to these Jewish people because they have rejected God and became the people of God. The national people of God had become the enemies of God. He said, let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. The word he uses in verse number nine for snare is an interesting word that brings us over to the stumbling block that he uses. Snare here is the same word that we get our word scandal from. And to the Jewish, the gospel was scandalous. And what did Paul say here in verse number or in chapter number 10? He said that to the Jews. Christ became a stumbling block. David's prayer had been answered. He said, he said, the enemies of God let that which was for their welfare be a trap unto them. Paul said, that which would be aware, that, that let their table be a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Peter said, there was a cornerstone came. God sent what he was building everything on. If we look in scripture, he said that he took the prophets and the apostles for the foundation of what he was building and Christ was the cornerstone. He was the, he was the center of it. He was, he was what was holding everything up. He was supposed to be good for them. He was what they were looking for. But David's prayer came true because what was supposed to be a welfare for them, where they were supposed to come and rest, where Jesus said unto his apostles, he said, come and dine. Where these Israelites were supposed to come and dine had become a stumbling stone. The cornerstone had become a bad thing. It became a trap. They stumbled over it. It crushed them. Their eyes were darkened. And they were bowed down in their back always. That means they couldn't see and they were bent over so they couldn't look around. That was the state they were in because that's the state they wanted to be in. What, what, in, in, in essence, what has happened to these, these Jewish people that Paul is writing to? If you've ever been in a dark room and you start to get your eyes adjusted just a little bit and somebody turns the light on and then you turn the light right back off and everything's black, or you're in a little bit of a darker room and somebody takes a picture with a flash and everything goes black for a minute. That's in essence what's happened to these Jewish people in this text. They were living in the dark. In this Old Testament economy. They, they, they had seen some shadows of what was to come. They had seen the, the, the pictures of Christ and all these things that they were doing. They were living in the dark. But they were able to make out. Figures, and they were able to make out where the furniture was, so to speak. They were able to see around. Jesus came. John 1, again, he was the light of the world. He lighted up all the darkness. The darkness could not comprehend it. But what did the Jewish people do? They could start to see some of the shadows, and as soon as the light came on, they went over and slapped it back off. 
and it was darker than it had ever been before. They couldn't look around. They couldn't see anything because they had rejected the Son of God. And that's, that's ultimately, that's Paul's call. We, we, we know Paul's heart. He's told us twice, the beginning of chapter number 9, the beginning of chapter number 10, he's told us twice what his heart is. He wants to see Israel come to their Messiah. He longs for that. He said, if I could go back and be a Pharisee again just so they could see their Messiah, I would be fine with that. I would be okay with never having seen it if they could see it. That was his heart. But he's calling to them, those who had not blinded their eyes and been blinded by God. Those who had not turned turned completely away. He's calling to those people. And he's saying, you can be part of the remnant, but don't reject him. Don't hit the light switch because if you do, you're going to miss it all. You're going to go around walking with your head to the floor, not seeing anything that's going on around you, just seeing the way that you're walking and constantly walking that same direction. And that's what we can't do. If God has given us light, if God has shown us truth, may he help us not to go and try and hit the light switch to turn it off. May that be our prayer for those around us, the ones that we're able to share the gospel with. May we pray as soon as the gospel has been shared, Lord, don't let them turn the light off. Shine that into their heart so they can see. Because we know if they see it, they'll see it. We know if they see it, they're not going to, if they really see it, they're not going to hit the switch. That's, that's what Paul's saying. Paul's trying to convey his burden for these Jewish people onto those who would come after him. Called us not to reject God because that rejection can end in hardening. Just like Esau, just like Pharaoh, just like multiple other people throughout the scriptures, that, that hardening will bring judgment. It's, it's just it's what it'll bring. But when we share the gospel, let that, again, let that be our prayer. God, don't let them turn off the light. Shine the gospel in their heart. Let them see it because they're not promised anything. God's going to have mercy on whom God, God may chase them for 20 years and grab them up. And we see that happen. We see people reject and reject and reject and reject and reject. And God pursues and pursues. Jacob was that same way. God said, God even, he mentions Jacob in chapter 9. He chased Jacob and chased Jacob and chased Jacob and chased Jacob. Because he can have mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. But he didn't chase after Esau. Esau said, I don't want the things of God. I don't want the spiritual things. I don't want them. God said, fine. You're fine. You can, you can have exactly what you want. And it, it even reminds us of chapter number one. He said, Paul, Paul said he gave them over to let them do the things that were in their heart. And honestly, I, I wonder, and I'm, I'm, I ramp it up, I promise. I wonder if it's not a mercy of God, honestly, to blind people's hearts anyway. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. If, 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 we, if we have been given a lot of light, then we're going to be required to be accountable for that lot of light. And it may be that God's hardening is even a mercy in itself. To say, I'm not going to let you see the rest of this because I don't want it to be any worse on you than it has to be. If you're going to reject and reject and reject then blind your eyes, put your head down to the ground, 
and go your own way. But I don't, I, I, it, it's even, it even shows us, again, it shows us the mercifulness of God, who he is. He is faithful. He is merciful. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants all to come to repentance. But those who reject him, he's going to be merciful on them, and they are going to perish. It's because that's what they chose. God doesn't choose people. You're going to heaven and you're going to hell. That's not the way God operates. God chooses in a sense that he chases after people. He's merciful to people over and over and over, putting people in their lives, putting them in situations where they see and hear the gospel and they believe. But if you reject God, you reject God on your own terms. And it may be that God is merciful unto you and to harden your heart like he did Israel and put somebody else in the place. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the chance to be here this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to look into your word.